Chapter Two of William, an Englishman, by Cicely Hamilton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Expatriate from Bangor, Maine. William, an Englishman, by Cicely Hamilton. Chapter Two. The mating of William and Griselda might be called an ideal mating. Theirs were indeed two hearts that beat as one. With each day they were happier in each other's company. Their minds, as it were, flowed together and intermingled joyously. Minds so alike and akin that it would have been difficult, without hearing the voice that spoke it, to distinguish an utterance of Griselda from an idea formulated by William. Their prominent blue eyes, they both had prominent blue eyes, looked out upon the world from exactly the same point of view and as they had been trained by the same influences and were incapable of forming an independent judgment it would not have been easy to find cause of disagreement between them there are men and women not a few who find their complement in their contrast but of such were not william and griselda their standard of conduct was rigid and their views were pronounced those who did not share their views and act in conformity with their standards were outside the pale of their liking and this not because they were abnormally or essentially uncharitable but because they had lived for so long less as individuals than as members of organizations a form of existence which will end by sucking charity out of the sweetest heart alive it was well for them therefore that their creed like their code of manners and morals was identical or practically identical it was a simple creed and they held to it loyally and faithfully they believed in a large vague and beautifully undefined identity called by william the people and by griselda woman who in the time to come was to accomplish much beautiful and undefined good and in whose service they were prepared meanwhile to suffer any amount of obloquy and talk any amount of nonsense they believed that society could be straightened and set right by the well-meaning efforts of well-meaning souls like themselves aided by the ballot the voice of the people and woman they believed in defiance of the teachings of history that democracy is another word for peace and goodwill towards men they believed quite rightly in the purity of their own intentions and concluded quite wrongly that the intentions of all persons who did not agree with them must therefore be evil and impure they were in short very honest and devout sectarians cocksure contemptuous intolerant self-sacrificing after the manner of their kind they held as i have said to their own opinions strongly and would have died rather than renounce or seem to renounce them which did not restrain them from resenting the same attitude of mind and heart in others what in themselves they admired as loyalty they denounced in others as interested and malignant stubbornness more it did not prevent them from disliking and despising many excellent persons whose opinions if analyzed would have proved nearly akin to their own william for instance would all but foam at the mouth when compulsory service in the army was the subject of conversation and militarism to him was the blackest of all the works of the devil but he was bitter and violently bitter against the blackleg who objected to compulsory service in a trade union and had spoken times without number 
in hearty encouragement of that form of siege warfare which is commonly known as a strike he was a pacifist of the type which seeks peace and ensues it by insisting firmly and even to blood that it is the other side's duty to give way griselda also was a pacifist when it suited her and when she had got her way she believed in a future world amity brought about chiefly by woman meanwhile she exulted loudly and frequently in the fighting qualities of her sex like william she had no quarrel with continental nations on the contrary what she had seen of continental nations during a fortnight's stay at interlaken had inclined her to look on them with favour like william her combatant instincts were concentrated on antagonists nearer home she knew them better and therefore disliked them more it is a mistake to suppose that either nations or individuals will necessarily like the people they see most of if you must know a man in order to love him you seldom hate a man with whom you have not acquaintance nothing could have been more ideally peaceful than the relations of china and england during the middle ages for the simple reason that china and england knew absolutely nothing of each other in the same way if in a lesser degree griselda and william had a friendly feeling for germany and the german people they had never been to germany and knew nothing of her history or politics but they had heard of the germans as intelligent people addicted to spectacles beer and sonatas and established on the banks of the rhine and the rhine being some way off they liked them as internationalists they had no words too strong for standing armies and their methods but upon military operations against domestic tyrants they looked with less disapproval there existed i believe in the back of their minds some ill-defined distinction between bloodshed perpetrated by persons clad in uniforms and by persons not so clad between fighting with bayonets and fighting with bombs and brickbats the one was militarism and unjustifiable the other heroism and holy had you been unkind enough to pen them into a corner and force them to acknowledge that there are many born warriors out of khaki they would have ended probably by declaring that one should take arms only against tyranny and in a righteous cause and so have found themselves in entire agreement not only with their adversary but with the tory party the german emperor the professional soldier and poor humanity in general the elect when one comes to examine them are not always so very elect the difficulty would have been to persuade them that there could be two opinions concerning a cause they espoused their little vision was as narrow as it was pure and their little minds were so seldom exhausted by thinking apostles of the reign of woman and of international amity they might have been summed up as the perfect type of aggressor with regard to what used to be called culture before august nineteen fourteen the attainments of william and griselda were very much on a level they read newspapers written by persons who wholly agreed with their views they read pamphlets issued and books recommended by societies of which they were members from these they quoted in public and imposingly with absolute faith in their statements of history and science of literature and art they knew nothing or next to nothing and their ignorance being mutual neither bored the other by straying away from the subjects in which both were interested as i have said their mating was an ideal mating the period of their engagement was not without its beauty 
an ever-present consciousness of their mission to mankind did not prevent them from being blissful as loving young couples are blissful it merely coloured their relations and spiritualised them one evening not long before their wedding they sat together in battersea park on a bench and dedicated their mutual lives to the service of progress and humanity they had invented a suitable formula for the occasion and repeated it softly one after the other holding each other's hands griselda's voice trembled as she vowed in semi-ecclesiastical phraseology that not even her great love for william should wean her from her life's work and william's voice shook back as he vowed in his turn that not even griselda the woman of his dreams should make him neglectful of the call of mankind and his duty to the holiest of causes it was a very solemn little moment man and woman affianced lovers they dedicated themselves to their mission the uplifting of the human race they were spared the doubts which would have assailed wiser heads as to the manner of accomplishing their mission and as they sat side by side on the bench with their hands clasped they knew themselves for acceptable types and forerunners of the world they were helping to create man and woman side by side vowed to service we shall never forget this evening griselda whispered as the sun dipped down in glory in all our lives there can be nothing more beautiful than this she was right the two best gifts of life are love and an approving conscience these twain william and griselda loved each other sincerely if not with the tempestuous passion of a romeo and a juliet with an honest and healthy affection they had for each other an attraction which could set their pulses beating and start them dreaming dreams that evening on the bench in battersea park they had dreamed their dreams while their consciences looked on and smiled they foreshadowed their home not only as a nest where they too and their children should dwell but as a centre of light and duty as they understood duty and light a meeting-place for the like-minded where fresh courage could be gathered for the strife with prejudice and evil they pictured themselves this was in june nineteen fourteen as what they would have called powers as a man and a woman working for progress and destined to leave their mark the sense of their destiny awed and elated them and they walked away from battersea park with their hearts too full for speech on the way home a flaring headline distracted griselda temporarily from her dreams who's this archduke that's been assassinated she asked her morning's reading had been confined to the suffragette austrian william informed her he had read the daily herald franz joseph no franz ferdinand the heir to the austrian throne who assassinated him his betrothed inquired not very much interested i can't remember their names william admitted but there seem to have been several in it anyhow he's been assassinated somewhere in the balkans with bombs oh said griselda ceasing to be interested at all her mind had turned from traffic and strange archdukes and was running on a high resolve the solemn vow of service was translating itself into action i shall go to the meeting to-morrow she announced and make my protest william knew what was passing in her mind and made no effort to dissuade her no more than she dared he let their mutual happiness enervate them it must urge them to high endeavor to struggle and sacrifice for the cause i'll go too he said simply if i can manage to get a ticket oh i'll get you a ticket griselda told him 
they're sure to have some at the office and thanked him with a squeeze of the fingers that set his pulses beating she was as good as her word and the next night saw him in a cabinet minister's audience from his seat in the arena their seats were not together and the pair had entered separately his eye sought for griselda and found her easily in the first row of the balcony most obviously composed and with her gloved hands folded on the rail she was dressed in pale blue with a flowered toque perched on her head her blue silk blouse in view of possibilities was firmly connected by safety pins with the belt of her blue cloth skirt and her hair secured more tightly than usual by an extra allowance of combs previous experience had taught her the wisdom of these measures as usual in accordance with the tradition of her party she had insisted in her costume on the ultra-feminine note her blouse savored of liberty and there was a cluster of rosebuds at her breast she was breathing quickly so her mouth was more open than usual otherwise she gave no sign of mental or physical trepidation save a studied indifference which might have betrayed her to an eye sufficiently acute to william she looked adorable and his heart swelled with admiration of her courage and determination to sustain her in her protest to the uttermost he vowed to himself to be worthy of such a mate he did his best to prove himself worthy when the critical moment came he waited for that moment during more than three-quarters of an hour for griselda was not without confederates and three ladies in picture hats and a gentleman in the garb of a nonconformist minister had arisen at intervals to make the running before her voice rang out all were suppressed though not without excitement two of the ladies parted with their hats and the clergyman broke a chair the chair and the clergyman having been alike removed the audience buzzed down into silence and for full five minutes there was peace until the speaker permitted himself a jesting allusion to the recently exported objectors a man with a steward's rosette in his coat was stationed in the gangway close to william and as the laughter the jest had provoked died away he swore under his breath by god there's another in the balcony william swung round saw griselda on her feet and heard her voice shrill out to him an inspiration and a clarion to the steward a source of profanity mr chairman i rise to protest against the speaker's gross insult to the noble women who a man in the seat behind clapped his hands on her shoulders and rammed her back into her chair where she writhed vigorously calling him coward and demanding how he dared his grip sufficiently hard to be unpleasant roused her fighting instincts and gave a fillip to her conscientious protest in contact with actual if not painful personal violence she found it easier to scream hit out and struggle two stewards starting from either end of the row of chairs were wedging themselves towards her she clung to her seat with fingers and toes and shrieked a regulation formula which the meeting drowned in opprobrium conscious of rectitude the jeers and hoots but encouraged her and fired her blood and when her hands were wrenched from their hold on the chair she clung and clawed to the shoulder of her next-door neighbor a stout and orthodox liberal who thrust her from him snorting indignation one steward had her gripped under the armpits the other with difficulty mastered her active ankles and wriggling like a blue silk eel and crowing her indefatigable protest she was bundled in rapid and business-like fashion to a side entrance of the building cowards she ejaculated as she found her feet on the pavement damned little cat was the ungentlemanly rejoinder 
If you come here again, I'll pare your nasty little nails for you. And dabbing a scored left hand with his handkerchief, the steward returned to his duties, leaving Griselda in the center of a jocular crowd, attracted to the spot by several previous ejections. She was minus her rosebuds, her toque, and quite half of her hairpins. On the other hand, she held tightly grasped in her fingers a crumpled silk necktie, which had once been the property of a stout and orthodox liberal. She was conscious that she had acted with perfect dignity as well as with unusual courage, and that consciousness, combined with her experience of similar situations, enabled her to sustain with calm contempt the attentions of the jocular crowd. "'You'd like a taxi, I suppose, miss?' the constable on duty suggested, having also considerable experience of similar situations. Griselda assented, and the taxi was duly hailed. Before it arrived at the curb, she was joined on the pavement by her lover, who had left the meeting by the same door as his betrothed, and in much the same manner and condition. He had parted with a shoe as well as a hat, and one of his braces was broken. A hearty shove assisted him down the steps to the pavement, where to the applause of the unthinking multitude he fell on his knees in an attitude of adoration before Griselda's friend the constable. Recovering his equilibrium, he would have turned again to the assault, but his game attempt to re-enter the building was frustrated not only by a solidly extended arm of the law, but by the intervention of Griselda herself. "'You've done enough for tonight, dear,' she whispered, taking his arm. "'My instructions are not to insist on arrest. We've made our protest. We can afford to withdraw.' She led the retreat to the taxi with a dignity born of practice. William, now conscious of his snapped brace, followed with less deportment. The vehicle, once clear of the jeering crowd, Griselda put her arms round her lover and kissed his forehead solemnly. My dear one, she said, I am proud of you. Oh, Griselda, I'm proud of you, he murmured between their kisses. How brave you are, how wonderful, how dared they. I went nearly mad when I saw them handling you. I hit out and the cowards knocked me down. A woman raising her voice on the side of justice and they silence her with brutal violence. It's only what we must expect, dear, she whispered back, stroking his rumpled hair. Remember, this is war. God knows it's horrible, but we must not shrink from it. She spoke from her heart, from the profound ignorance of the unread and unimaginative. And once more in the darkness of the taxi, the warriors clasped and kissed. End of chapter 2 of William and Englishman Recording by Expatriate from Bangor, Maine.